Welcome to the Trojan Tailgate Podcast Network. I am proud to introduce to you today your home for honest sports analysis that you won't hear anywhere else. All from a group of friends that met at Troy University. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And here's your host, Hampton Sipper. Welcome in to another edition of the Trojan Tailgate Network's NFL and this week come special on. edition Man. SEC <laughs> recap show. My name, come on! <laughs> my name is Hampton Sipper, and I am joined by my good friends, as always, correspondent at large, Graham Haney, the Reddit extraordinaire himself, Chase Haney. And the Dwayne Haskins <laughs> funder of money, Kyle Edwards. That's really good. <laughs> How's it you know, going tonight, guys? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing better than Dwayne right now. Dwayne's in some heat. <laughs> I mean, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for every other quarterback on the football team's roster being out right now, Dwayne would be on the road. Um, but, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. I'm doing – just about as good as Tua Tunga turns the ball over inside the five <laughs> yard line and whip it a good victory from the Patriots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, buddy. Jason, but uh, hey, we got that dub, credit though. Credit to Chase sent me that, and I laughed at that for a good three minutes, and I told him I was hey, using the podcast. So thank you, Chase. There, but, man. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I'm great, though, Chase. I'll swing it Dude, over to you. How we doing today? I can't tell if someone is like. On like a high speed chase, or if they're playing GTA, because I keep hearing sirens in the background. I don't know which one of y'all it is, but uh, Graham, I hope you're not in any funny business over the other room. Maybe, uh, maybe you, uh, maybe, maybe you and Dwayne Haskins are uh, both getting getting, getting crapped down. Yeah, but uh, nah, man, doing well so- back, back in uh, back in the hometown. Good to see my brother Graham and. Uh, Dude, I got a puppy, man, so life's been fun. I uh, hadn't slept very much, but excited for the pod this week. What about you, Graham? What's good, brother? Hey, I, I'm doing a whole lot better than Jets fans are right now. I think that <laughs> uh, the cops are probably chasing after uh, somebody that just went after Adam Gase and uh, all, the whole Jets front office and their players for, uh, you know, the whole time we thought they were tanking for Trevor, and uh, they weren't. They are just bad, and uh, I, I think that – uh, if you're a Jacksonville Jaguar fan right now, you're over the moon because uh, no one ever thought that the, the Jets would win a game. And what did they do? They won a game. So, uh, you know, lots of unhappy Jets fans. Even when you win, you lose. And you hate to be a Jets fan because of that. But I'm doing well, man. Just kind of enjoying the break. Uh, good to see old bro and uh, the new pup, you know. So it, it's a good week. How's it going, Hampton? It is going great, Graham. You know, I returned to work Monday. Yeah. Uh, my triumphant return after being quarantined uh, for a week and a half. And um, it was good kind of getting back in rhythm, um, getting back in the groove of things and uh, looking forward to Christmas on Friday. And uh, so that'll be fun. And, you know, looking forward to the pod this week. Uh, we're doing something a little different this time around. Do it being a holiday week and really – there being a lack of compelling topics on the NFL side, we decided to combine um, our shows this week. So 
first half of the show is going to be NFL, um, NFL recap. And then the second half is going to be um, our SEC portion of the show, uh, talking about uh, Auburn making a coaching hire, finally. Uh, we're definitely going to get into that. Uh, going to get into a little bit of signing day talk and um, recapping the SEC championship between Alabama and Florida. Uh, so to kick off the NFL, um, there weren't a whole lot of great games this week. We had um, Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray kind of going at it. Um, that was a great game. Jalen um, has looked uh, very good in his first two or three starts. So um, good for him for coming out and taking advantage of the opportunity. Uh, you had that. You had the Jets, Jets winning the, the game, game. baby. Uh, What's up with this dude? Uh, See that? This, it, this dude's in a lull. So you, yeah, oh, man. Man. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, I'm in, the, I'm in the rhythm. I mean, it didn't even even register that I said that because it's just commonplace for them. But thank you for fact checking me on that. Yeah, they won a game. Um, they finally won a game um, and lost out on the first pick of the draft and. Uh, potentially uh, Trevor Lawrence. So that was big news. And the Steelers, man, talk about an implosion um, and going from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the heat. That team is a dumpster fire right now, and I don't see it getting any better. Uh, So one thing that we wanted to kind of discuss for today's show, um, our buddy Kyle came up with this idea. So, you know, the old guard of quarterbacks, really, right now, you've got Ben Roethlisberger, who has looked awful the past four or five weeks, especially on Monday night. Uh, he's afraid to throw the ball deep. Uh, just hadn't played very well. You got Drew Brees, who, I mean, I thought I thought he wasn't going to make it through the game Sunday, y'all. Uh, a seven of twenty at one point for like one hundred thirty yards. Uh, didn't look himself. Um, and then you got Tom Brady, who led another comeback against the Falcons. Uh, not quite the stakes since the first time around, uh, but he played really well uh, Sunday. So what we wanted to discuss is, out of those three quarterbacks, which one do you think is in the worst shape right now? Which one are you kind of giving up on and saying, you're waving the white flag. You're saying it's done for them, and there's no coming back. Um, they kind of, you know, father time has caught up with them. Uh, so, Kyle, since it was your topic that you came up with, I'm going to let you uh, right. start with um, this one. It's kind of tough because, obviously, father time is catching up with every single one of these quarterbacks. Uh, but, man, I think Big Ben's going to be the first to go. I mean, I said it a few weeks ago when the Steelers were still undefeated. It was like, who have they beaten in the past? month and a half you know what I mean like and they they were skating by against bad teams and it was kind of a level of concern and now that in the past four weeks they still haven't scored 20 points like that's that's a that's a red flag for me and I know he has uh, his receivers aren't doing him many favors I know Juju's tick-tocking on the 50 really (laughs) target on their back before every game and I mean they're averaging five or six drops a game but at the same time like something's up and then now that they got injuries on their defense they're struggling. They're letting Cincy hang 27 on them with a third-string quarterback. I mean, just pair yeah. that together, and this team's a whole dumpster fire. But, I mean, we can't just sit here and act like Big Ben doesn't have weapons to work with. Like, like yeah, Brady 
Brady's got better weapons for sure, but I mean, he's still getting the ball to him. Like Big Ben's can't even get the ball to him right now. Like to not score twenty points in over a month with that with that with those weapons, like that's that's that that worries me, and that worries me for them going into the playoffs. You know, as they were looking like they were gonna be to have a bye, they may lose in the first round. Um, yeah. Big Ben, is, Big Ben, he's, he's not agree. he's not really being very mobile. I mean, he's just. He hasn't done – I can't name one positive thing he's done in the past month. Um, but, yeah, I think Big Ben's going to be, have to be the first to go. And and Bre- while Breeze didn't look great either last week, it was his first week back from injury against the Chiefs. Um, and Thomas is back on the IR. Uh, I think a lot of other factors are involved with Breeze right now. And I feel like Breeze's decision-making kind of mm-hmm. elevate him over Ben. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to have to go Ben. Chase, Dude, I'm curious this, to who you this think This is right such here. a good question because I love when we come up with questions that – I don't have like a trigger answer to it. And like you said, and, and I agree with you, dude, Father Time is undefeated. That That is the one opponent that gets everybody is Father Time is undefeated. It's going to catch up to you. And no matter how invincible you feel, I mean, dude, you're seeing some of these really uh, good old quarterbacks, dude. I mean, look rough. And uh, I, I think that what I'm going to land on, and, and this is like a statement for right now, um, I, I see it as Drew Brees is hurt. Ben Roethlisberger looks hurt. And Brady looks like he could play one to two more years. Yeah. I, dude, I, when I, Big Ben used to be like, what his staple was is that I was actually even talking to my dad about it. We were watching the game together. It just almost an amazement that, like, that not, not that the Steelers were losing, like, their what, third game in a row, but that, Cincy was the team that came out and put it to them, and it's like, dude, something like they looked like they had the home field advantage with no, like you know, barely any crowd yeah. in the stands. Like they were talking about before the game started that there was a curfew and they were had to like get some kind of exception so people could stay to the end of the game and all this crazy stuff. And it like they're playing like they're playing like like Cincy's playing like they got an indoor practice facility what? and a full stadium. <laughs> Neither one of them they've had in a very long time, and. I just I watched this guy who used to be able to stand in the pocket and just shake off defensive linemen, linebackers trying to come tackle him, and just stand back there like this huge tower of a man. And dude, I I, I love man. I've heard that Ben's come to know the Lord. Um, praise God for it. But um, dude, I just like it, when whenever you yeah. see someone go back there to to tackle him. Like you kind of like, like you kind of wince a little bit. You're kind of like, man, like don't, don't do it. Don't like, don't hit him too hard. It, it's kind of like, it, like I'm trying to remember who. It's almost like whenever Tua was kind of banged up when he was at Alabama, and you're just like, man, please don't go for the ankles. Like, please don't, you know, like, 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 like just uh-huh. kind of two man touch back there. And dude, I mean, he really looks like I've seen <laughs> yep. him just several times that I'm like, I, I just don't even think he could take an NFL hit. And uh, it. I don't know, man. It, it kind of makes me feel like he, he might need to hang it up. I know he said he wants to come back, but I think he's in the worst shape. Um, I think Drew Brees, though, I saw him the other day sitting on the sideline. I think he has a weenie arm, Hampton. You've convinced me, but I, I saw it the other day, bro. That pick he threw against Kansas City, I was like, that was awful. Like, that was an awful pass. Um, I, At least, though, he's got the – he still has, like, yeah. the competitive – grit like he was sitting on the sideline like sitting on the bench and he looked mad like he was he was mad about his performance and i think and it's like ben acknowledges that it's his fault but it almost seems more like uh-huh. like ah oh, like we'll get him next time like that kind of approach 
And it, it just kind of seems like Ben knows that he's kind of on his way out. And Ben knows uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Drew Brees seems to be like, I'm fighting for my job right now. So, I, I, I like, almost out of, like, charity, I kind of hope that Ben will move mm-hmm. on. I think Brady's still got a few more in him. But, uh, dude, yeah. I, yeah, it, it, like I said, I've just kind of kept up with the Steelers having Deontay Johnson and uh, loving their connection. But, you, dude, it, it's just looked rough this past couple of weeks. And I, I, I'm, I know I've been long-winded. But uh, Abe, were you gonna ask, say something? Hey, mm-hmm. what's up? Yeah, I was gonna ask you something. So, um, I know you said Ben. You think he's like the first to go? Do you? I know the Steelers have been struggling the past few weeks. Is he the main <sighs> reason why, or is there other factors at play that Dude, you think I, I don't contribute sit over here or contribute more to that like, struggle? Like put the blame on like this. Like kind of like the boogeyman type thing. I don't want to do that. Um, but I think that, that you could almost draw it back to that that uh-huh. Ravens game that got rescheduled for that. Wasn't it like a Wednesday or something like that? Like, it, yeah, it, it was like a weird day. Mm-hmm. They didn't play well. Yes. And like they also like uh, like whenever Dupree got hurt, that was when it was like the, like those three things right there. Those three factors they've just not looked the same. And I don't know if like like. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't. I just wonder if those guys were like locker room guys yeah, and, and Devin Bush like, maybe, too. Like, the leagues against them. And again, I don't want to like blame it on like the boogeyman over here. But at the same time, I think that they were kind of like they were kind of dealt a bad hand towards the like back hat. Well, really, the whole season, some of these games having to be made up. And I maybe maybe like I, honestly, we could look at this as what if they would have had their original bye week? Like, would they? It looks like they need a bye week, man. Like Ben looks hurt. They obviously have players that have been de- deteriorating, so um, I, I think that, I think he's played very very badly, and I think you can blame him. But I think the whole team has looked different since that Baltimore game, mm-hmm. dude. That so I think their bye week. How was many like weeks did they play in a row? Like that. Like, I mean, it, it was super it, early, yeah. So and I, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But, I want to. I want to pop in here for a games. I mean, they did have like 10, 11 day breaks with these weird schedule games. So I mean, it, they kind of had mini buys instead mm-hmm. of buys. But also, the downside of that, I guess, is when you're playing on a Wednesday, they had to turn around and play that next Monday. So I mean, I don't know. But I feel like I mean, it's not like they've. You know what I mean? I feel like they've had a yeah. couple breaks here or there. Um, but at the same time, it's still got to be frustrating. You know, your yeah. schedule's getting changed all the time. I definitely agree no, with and, that. And but like, that's, I, that's I just want to pop totally in and say that real quick. I just wonder what, like, when you're supposed to have a bye week, like rest is supposed to be in there and hard practices, like those kind of go hand in hand. It's like, okay, like you're going to have these days to completely rest. And I think when you don't have that, like I think there's a mental thing to being able to like actually physically rest your body. And when you're kind of just on like on hold, like you're, you're waiting for the league to call you back, I just don't know if you can rest like that. Um, but but like Kyle, what you said though, I mean, the, the, the days are in there. I just wonder if like mentally they've yeah. had time because I think you see somebody like Deontay Johnson and the other Steeler receivers who do like they don't know how to catch the ball anymore. Like small stuff like that. That I really wonder, like man, maybe there's something <laughs> mental going on there. But uh, no, I mean you're right. Like you said, the days were there. Graham, what do you what do you think about this whole like quarterback conversation? And uh, yeah, like like I just want to I want to give you the freedom, kind of answer it how you will. Yeah, I, I'd be happy to hop in. Um, you know, you were talking about you know Father Time being undefeated, and I think that plays a lot in my decision and and who I'm going to pick. You know, to be out of the league first. Um, you know, we we saw uh, Drew Brees come back this week. 
and he was really rusty to start off with, but you know, as the game progressed, he, he did get a, a little bit better. But I'm not a doctor, and I've never fractured any ribs. But the people that have fractured ribs before, or messed up ribs, bruised ribs, whatever, is that it's very <laughs> uncomfortable, and it takes a long time for them to truly like feel 100% if they ever do again. And, you know, Drew Brees is up there in age 40-something yeah. uh, years old. And I just think that process takes a lot longer than, what was it, three weeks, four weeks uh, that, that he wasn't able to play. And I, to me, I think that I would say that Drew Brees will be mm-hmm. out first because one bad hit and he is out for the rest of the year because those ribs you know, will fracture again. The ribs will get uh, you know uncomfortable again. And if he's in pain, he's already got a weenie arm. So if he's in pain, <laughs> how, how is he going to be able to bear it? I mean, you can't just there, – there's only so much that you can just like, – you, know, you can just clench your teeth and just, you know what, just throw it. You know, there, there's only so much of that in Drew Brees to begin with. And being hurt even more, to yeah. me, I, I think that that plays a, a big part in who I'm going to think is, is out. I, I think Brady uh, – the Buccaneers, you know, they're a good team. They just don't really seem to mesh well together. Um, the, and the Steelers are broken. Like I, I think that, you know, whenever, uh, mm-hmm. whenever they played the Washington football team, it was like they found the one. Uh, they, they found the one part of the Steelers was like, you know what, just, just play them. Don't act like they're undefeated. Don't act like, uh, you know, they're the best team in the league. If, if you play them like they're a normal team, you could be like the Bengals and knock them off and it'd be easy money. I think that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger did look absolutely terrible. I, I think that, um, you know, with, with the you know, run games that the, the Steelers have, it, it's all on Big Ben. And whenever Big Ben doesn't play, yeah, yeah and whenever Big Ben doesn't play an elite level, then the Steelers don't really stand a chance on offense. You know, that I, I saw something where, uh, I saw somebody say where it was like, man, Big Ben was mm-hmm. so bad that he made the Bengals look like a top five defense in the NFL. And we all know that that's not true <laughs> because the Bengals are not good. But but the Steelers mm-hmm. don't look really good right now either. Um, it, mm-hmm. If I had to pick a team that might be out in the first round of these of these players, I, I think that Drew Brees has the – the biggest chance of like being done for the year, the fact that he he might not be able to play because he gets hurt. But I think the Steelers right now look really bad, and that could be an, that could be a very quick first round exit. Uh, you know, with mm-hmm. the way that other teams in the AFC are you know really getting better, and those you know like the the spots you know competing for those you know two wild card spots. Uh, man, I, I think that uh, that the Steelers might be in trouble when it comes to playoff time. Uh, Hampton, what do you think about it? You know, who, who do you think is, is out first? I mean, we've talked about Drew Brees having a weenie arm uh, because that's your information, so I'll give you credit for that. And and, and Big Ben, <laughs> you know, just, just not being himself. Do you think that maybe the Steelers coaching has anything to play with it? You know, it seems like they've been bad consistently you know, for the past few weeks. Do you think that coaching has, has a, a big part in that? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Um, I think it plays a small factor. I think their offensive coordinator is not very good. Uh, I mean, their play calling at times does not make sense. 
They'll be very passive, um, you know, very conservative. Uh, first and 10, come out, try like a short pass that doesn't work, and then so you run on like second and longs and get nothing when their run game, like you said, Graham, their run game is embarrassing. Um, I mean, it's not it's non-existent. Um, so I think, you know, their scheme is part of it. I also think – I think their spirit was broken or something because I know, Kyle, you felt kind of the whole time that they weren't a good team. And, I, you know, I didn't think they were, like, elite by any means. But their defense was elite. And then Bud Dupree gets hurt. Devin Bush gets hurt, which we've discussed. But it's like after that happened, like they stopped playing with the type of confidence and swag and um, like demeanor that they had. Like they they had a demeanor on that defense of like you're not scoring on us. You're um, not going to get – we're not going to give an inch. And now they're just – I don't know. They seem lifeless, almost like, you know, with the injuries and then their offense being so bad kind of like with the Bears um, when Nick Foles was playing, their defense kind of ta- tailed <laughs> off because it was almost like – The defense has to be perfect well, in order know, to we win. No shot, That's really you know, hard off, doing that, I feel. a shot. Um, yep. Exactly. Um, so, I think that plays a part in it. But, Graham, I kind of agree with you. Like, I think – the Steelers are by far. Um, that was my dog. Like, they're bro. the most likely candidate <laughs> of going in the playoffs. Say hello to our listeners. Um, but um, they're the most likely team to get in the playoff and lose in the first round, and I wouldn't be shocked at all. Um, mm. But Drew Brees – his help scares me because he did not look good Sunday. Um, you know, I, you know, I quoted his stats earlier, but he only looked good like one drive, and that was at the end of the game. Like he actually made some throws, and you're like, okay, you know, that looks like Drew Brees, but I just don't know how um, the longevity of that and how um, what's the word suitable, I guess that is, or. Um, that they can kind of lean on that. I just don't – I don't have much confidence in it. Um, so, I'm going to go with Drew Brees as far as, like, this year, like, kind of giving it up because I think if he takes another hit um, to those ribs, he could be done and be done for good. But I don't think Big Ben's far behind him. Um, and, you know, to kind of transition really quick, and I think we probably are all going to agree on this. The quarterback that I think out of these three that – I would take – like, if I was having a draft I, and I had to pick between these three, I would easily choose Tom Brady to lead my team because I've told I've told y'all on this pod over and over and over again, that team, Graham, like you said, they're not cohesive. Mm-hmm. I agree. And their struggles this year are not because Tom Brady has been terrible. Great. I don't know if y'all watched any of that Atlanta game Sunday – he made a couple outstanding and incredible um, throws that, I mean, it looked like <laughs> vintage Tom. Like he was, he, that man even moved around the pocket, throw on the run, being a little creative. Um, and he's kind of done that all year. The arm strength and accuracy and all that isn't really a question with him. 
think it's more of the scheme, as I've said before. Um, but is there any other quarterback um, out of those three hey, that you would take kind of going I think, into the playoffs I think, Graham, you were talking about the Saints really struggling and might lose in the first round. And I think – and you are talking about Drew Brees in that regard. I think a big factor on Drew Brees being done that we haven't really talked about enough is, is Michael yeah. Thomas. Uh, he's been in and out of the lineup. He just went back to the IR. Like, old slant boy, Bell's wingy <laughs> arm out more mm-hmm. than any – like, I mean, it was like, okay, where's Michael Thomas? He's running five yards underneath. Let's dump it off. Let him get seven to 15 yards. And it's like that, that's yeah. part of their scheme. And not only that, that's going to open up the game for Kamara. And that just opens up this whole offense to a whole nother level and really allows them to be more fluent and more consistent and just have a – have a, just a better game plan going in when you have Michael Thomas. And Drew Brees hasn't really had that this year. So I think a key part to the Saints playoff run and Drew Brees' longevity is having guys like Michael Thomas in the lineup. Because without him, Drew Brees is going to struggle. He's going to have to throw the ball downfield more. He's going to have to make more happen that he's not as comfortable doing. Um, but, Hampton, to answer your question, it's got to be Brady. I think last week showed it just because, like, when Brady's on the field, I mean, I don't, especially I, – I thought this a lot during the pack uh, – not during the Packers game. But whenever Brady and them get down, it's like you can never count Brady out. He's done it too many times. Like, if he gets a score or two, then the defense is like, all right, hey, we just need to get a stop, get the ball back in his hands. Um, just just his presence, I guess, Yeah, can really – like, you're never out of a game uh, with Tom Brady, I feel like, especially with the weapons he has. Um, but yeah, Big Band last yeah, on my list. I, Graham, I were you going to hop uh, in and say something right there? Y'all. I, I think that Tom Brady's got to be the guy you go with. Uh, but to push back just a little bit, I mean, he did make a comeback against the Falcons, which is not very impressive at all. When you, when you, <laughs> Precedent has I, been set. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, whenever I was watching that game, I expected <laughs> the Falcons to, to, to blow it. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady did make some uh, – some some good throws, some throws that you know maybe like ten years ago, um, but you know the Falcons are just really bad, and and if they ever have a, have a lead, and, and you got to give the ball to Matt Ryan to say, I right, we need you to waste two minutes of time, like there goes ten seconds off the clock, like that's all you get. Um, I, I I do think that uh, you know them playing the Falcons has a factor to do in it, do with it, but you know health wise, you know arm talent wise, you know. Weapons wise, I, I think you got to go with Brady. You know, with the injury concerns of Drew Brees, and you know the the Steelers just looking like you know totally confused out there all the time. Uh, I, I think you got to go with Brady. Chase, do you agree? We got to go with Brady. Uh, you know, as our you know our guy to go with. You know, if we're gonna build a team. See, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here, man, and like everything in me, like I think I just enjoy watching the Saints play and. I think if we've ever seen a game manager, I don't know if a lot of people would call it this, but I think Drew Brees is the ultimate game manager. Like, he is the quarterback that you want if you have phenomenal weapons around him, like Kamara and Michael Thomas. He's not going to do it by himself, but he's not going to turn the ball over like his receiver. Uh-huh. His, you know, people around him are going to be really good. It, like, there's everything in me that wants to say him. And so I, I might just, like – if you put, I don't know. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Breeze. I know that he's hurt, but I don't want to like, like let one game determine how I feel about Breeze. I know that he's hurt, but like come playoff time, he might. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay true for a second because I feel like, like right now, the, the Saints have a, a pretty good defense, even though 
Kansas City is a phenomenal team. We knew that going into that game. Breeze did not play well. Michael Thomas was apparently out, you know, 24 hours. We didn't even know that. And he's like on the IR. He's hurt, hurt. So I, I, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a part of me that kind of wants to like just go ahead and, and, and wave yeah. the white flag and say Brady. But for the sense of the pod and honestly, just kind of how I feel like, like I, I, I've gone the whole year and like said on this pod, I, I, I'm not going to punt on Breeze just yeah. yet. I think that he, they'll find a way. Um, I think that just just watch. Like again, Kansas City's a really good team. I don't know who they play next week. I think they play the Vikings. But watch this first the first half. We always say that the Saints play well in the first half. Um, if if he doesn't play well in the first half against the Vikings this next week, I might I might punt. But I'm going to hold on and say Breeze just because I think that in Tampa they've got some. The culture's still weird. Uh, Tom Brady finally hit AB on a deep ball. So I'm going to consider Drew Brees playing awful. Yeah. To like that extent of awful. And then Drew Brees hit I – mean, I'm sorry, Tom Brady hitting AB on a deep ball. I'm going to consider both of those outliers, and I'm going to stay home with Brees. I will say this, um, and then we can kind of transition because I know um, our good friend Kyle has a hot take for us. Um, what the Saints did against the Chiefs, um, coming back and only losing by three, considering how bad Breeze played, impressed the heck out of me. Uh, their de- their defense did as good of a job on Patrick Mahomes in that offense as you're going to do. And I think if they met again, if Breeze plays a little bit better, even if they were com- there was a uh, fumble in the end zone that turned into a safety. If the Saints would have recovered that like they should have, uh, which, I mean, I know I'm doing if, if, if. Uh, but I was very impressed with what I, I mean, saw from them. Just, so, I think, I think um, you said well, – I kind of like your take, Chase, on that. Michael Thomas went on to the IR. Um, but, dude, like, Drew Brees got off of the IR literally, like, for that game. He didn't practice mm-hmm. any that week. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. And like you said, clearly, so – Hopefully he will get more, like, more healthy as, as time goes on. But no, this is a great, this is a great question. I think this is really thought provoking because, like, we're I mean we're we're really talking about like at the end of this season, like do one of these guys retire yeah. or do like does their team move on from them? I mean we're, we're talking about something that's that's on the horizon whether we want to admit it or not. And I think that maybe some of us kind of are like like just as is like fan base are like kind of ready for the next wave of like this fresh young talent. But dude, like the league's going to look, it's going to feel different whenever big Ben doesn't trot out there and drew Brees is no longer, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's going to be a weird day, but, uh, just kind of maybe save Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause we grew up with all these guys, you know, right. Same thing like when Peyton Manning retired. That was my guy growing up. And, <laughs> you know, when he retired and you didn't get to hear Omaha, Omaha 28, you know, 19, whatever. Um, I mean, it's just different. But, uh, you know, all three of these guys are legends. They're Hall of Famers. Um, and it's kind of – I wish yeah. for Big Ben and Breeze's sake that they get out before it just got embarrassing. Know. And I think it's almost – to that point with Big Ben, um, of embar- like he's embarrassing himself, and it's kind of kind of sad to see. But uh, guys, that was a great discussion. I think we covered that really, really well. Kyle, appreciate you again with coming up with the uh, with the topic for that one. Um, and I'm gonna hand it off to you, buddy. You told me you have a um, an interesting take or uh, theory, so I'm gonna give you a minute uh, to 
you know, explain that to us, and then we'll uh, wrap that up. All right, we're ready to the SEC discussion. All right, my hot take for the week is I'm ready. The Jets don't actually okay. want Trevor Lawrence. Now, there there was a guy that did want Trevor Lawrence, and his name was Greg Williams, and he did everything in his power to try to. Stay at zero wins, blitzing the house, letting Derek Carr throw a bomb for an easy touchdown. And the Jets said, nah, we don't want Trevor. Get out of here. We're moving on. The Jets have been scrapping and clawing. They th- I think that they think Sam Darnold is their guy. And they did not want to be put in a predicament of like, man, if we have the number one pick and we pass on Trevor, but we really don't want Trevor, but we can't pass on Trevor because of how the media portrays them. It's like, but now they're like, let's just win a game and we don't have to worry about it. We can ride Sam. We can either trade our pick and get some get some good players, or we can just continue to build. Um, I don't hate what they've done in the draft the past couple of years, but at the same time, they're still awful. Like I don't think quarterback is the main Jets issue for their team. Like they they have so many other issues everywhere. Do I think Darnold is the the next MVP quarterback? No, I don't. But do I think he can win some football games with the right weapons and the right scheming around him? Um, and I I think just the way they battled the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. and getting Greg Williams out of there. I think I don't think they want Trevor. I think Sam's their guy, and I think they they don't want to be put in that spot, and that's the reason they've been competing the past few weeks. Hot take, but – No, I, I like the thought. take. I, I like the take. I think hey, that you know, Sam Darnold is you – know, he's not a bad quarterback. I think the Jets just really set him up in the worst situations, and then, of course, he looks bad. I, I think that you know Adam Gase – not a good coach, not a good play caller. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg Williams was trying to do the Jets fans a favor, and then what does he do? He loses his job over it. Um, I think that you know the Jets fans think that Trevor Lawrence is just the answer, and if we put Trevor Lawrence you know, on the Jets, we instantly become a playoff contender, and that's totally not true. Um, and you also said something about the Jets you know, continuing to build, like, from what I've seen, the Jets aren't building anything. They're mm-hmm. tearing something down. I mean, everyone is up. Everyone is up for trade. You know, <laughs> the more draft pick, the better, which is fine. But you know, Jamal Adams, it's gonna hard, be hard to find a replacement. You know, at his kind of caliber, even if you do have two first round picks. You know, you know, it is interesting to see. Um, you know where, where, and what the Jets will do uh, with, with their. Right now, the second pick in the draft, what what direction they would go, but I I don't mind Sam Donald as the Jets quarterback, but I I I think we've all said it. Adam Gase needs to go. If you want to build, if you want to build yeah. something, you gotta you gotta kick out the thing that's tearing it down. And and Adam Gase is, you know, gotta go. a, a, with Adam Gase as the head coach of the Jets, they're never gonna do anything or go anywhere. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Doesn't matter how many draft picks you have, as long as Adam Gase is in the building, then the building's coming down. I mean, he he is he's cutting down walls, he's tearing down walls, you know, he is smashing windows, he's doing everything he can to make sure that you know that, that the house is as unstable as possible. So one little <laughs> gust of wind and it's flat. And we, we've seen it this year. I mean, you know, it's you know the the Jets and the Raiders playing, and you gotta yeah. you gotta just don't let him score a touchdown for one play. And what happens? The wind blows and the house crumbles. That's how I see it. And God, I just I'm just sitting here thinking, and I just I I almost wanted to like okay. defend Adam Gates just for one second, 
like Graham, just just for, just for what you're saying, Ooh. just just food for thought. Let's just think about this for a second. Like he is not a good coach, and I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that he is. But I just want to ask y'all the question: Why does he get so much hate when you have a coach in Jacksonville who's done even worse than he has? I, like they have the first round pick now, and then also like I mean, I feel like Brian, like, uh, Brian Flores down in Miami, like he had mm-hmm. a little bit more grace shown to him. I feel like is there a chance that maybe Adam Gase like? Let's just put his personality to his side for a second and just say that, you know, he's not a good interview. He's not like – he's not that like – like Brian Flores, like he gets his guys going. Like he, he's a good coach. But is there a chance that like maybe – maybe Adam Gase is actually dealt just a really bad deck of cards? He is and, the bad deck of know, cards. I mean, it's not – he can't play anything. It, it doesn't matter what he's got to play. No. He's going to lose. He could have he could have pocket aces and still give up too early. He would still fall, he would have pocket aces <laughs> fold before he even got to like the second half. I just see so. I, I just I, like I'm just it, it, I know it sounds dumb. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying this is actually how I feel. But go ahead, like, Chase. The, you you can't deny there's some reason this guy's still there. There's it, and maybe they're firing him after the season. Yeah, that's right. All I, I all I know is Chris Carson will always play under, uh, Pete Carroll. <laughs> Doesn't matter how many fumbles there are. But I just, yeah, I just, I just, I'm trying to think of why he is still there because there's no way he's that bad of an interview and he's fooling everyone in the front office that he's a good coach. Um, what do you think, Hampton? This is what I'll say about Adam Gase. Um, I don't think he's been dealt a bad hand. I think – all right, so the reason that they – that he even got a job in the first place is because he was the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning in Denver. That is why he got a head coaching job in the first place because everyone's like, oh, well, he called the plays for Peyton Manning. Now, Peyton Manning was his own offensive coordinator and called his own plays, and it didn't matter who you had – as the OC, that was Peyton's offense that they ran. Well, he goes to Miami and does nothing, and it wasn't like – I mean, okay, you could argue, honestly, at least especially on offense, that Miami had more talent under Adam Gase than they have right now. They had Jarvis Landry. They had Devontae Parker. They had Ryan Tannehill, who when Ryan Tannehill was with Adam Gase was viewed as a crap quarterback. He leaves them. And in the past 24 games, he has numbers that are comparable to Mahomes. The only thing that Mahomes has a beat in in the past 24 games is passing yards. Um, so you've got, you know, you got that. Then you go to the Jets. And, I mean, I, I can't defend, like, the talent that he has on his team right now, even though I will say, like you said, Kyle, they've actually made some good picks in the draft over the past couple of years, like with Mikai Becton. Uh, Quinnen Williams has turned into a stud. Um, like, there are some pieces there that you can build around. Um, I didn't mind them getting rid of Jamal Adams because I think Jamal Adams is a – he's a good box safety, but he's not an elite cover guy. And in this day and age, I want a guy who can cover the field and um, get give me some interceptions. And so I didn't blame them for not um, – not paying him, but I don't think Adam, like, I don't think Adam Gase has 
especially like, have you ever watched a Jets <laughs> game or even a Dolphins game and been like, man, I'm really impressed with this dude's play call. Like he has a good game. Um, he sets things up in advance. Like you don't ever say that about him. Um, I said, you know who I do say that about? Um, Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay. Um, and the last thing that I'll say is like you talked about like Brian Flores given give he got grace in Miami. The man had one year and had like the legit one of the worst rosters you've ever seen in your life. Like that thing was awful. And the reason he was given grace, everyone knew they weren't talented, but then by like the halfway mark in the year, you know, they weren't winning games, but they were fighting and they were playing really um, close games, which I will give credit. The Jets have been doing that over the past month. So I'll give Adam Gase a little smidgen of credit there. Um, and then, you know, they end the year 5-11, and 11, and they beat the, the <laughs> Patriots. And almost, you can basically say the Miami Dolphins killed the Patriot dynasty because, I mean, them beating them in Week 17 ensured they wouldn't get a bye. And then they had to go play Tennessee – um, in the first round, they lost. Uh, so, I, I mean, Kyle, I agree with your point. I don't think – I mean, I think they wanted Trevor Lawrence, but I think that they can do things in the draft um, and build around Sam Darnold and be fine, um, especially if they keep hitting on the picks like they have been. Uh, I wanna, but that's I wanna, my take on Adam Gates. I want to hop in and put a bubble in the conversation. Uh, <clears throat> much grace. Real quickly, Adam Gase comes in 2019, okay. wins more games in that year than the Jets have in the last three years. All right, they like we like what they're doing in the draft. They're building from the trenches, which we have talked about, and I think we all think is the best way to go about it. If you don't have a good offensive and defensive line, you're going to get wrecked every week in the NFL. This year, their talent is garbage. They've had injuries. Um, but I think the fact that this team is still fighting, clawing, and competing in games with a horrible roster with Adam Gase as their coach, like when Jeff Fisher got fired, like I feel like his guys quit on him. It's like they didn't want to play for him. If the Jets didn't buy into Adam Gase, they would not have won last week. They're not going to go yeah. in and beat – like the fact that they're still competing, the fact they're still fighting and trying to win games, I think that's a testament a little bit to Adam Gase. Now, I'm not sitting here saying he's the next Bill Belichick, but at the same time – I think what's been happening in the past month is a little yeah. telling of what, what Adam Gase is as a coach. And I think when he comes in and wins more games for your franchise in the last three years, I think the potential's there. And I don't think after his second year with no talent that we should just kick the can already and get him out of here. Um, I think I think we need to go a little longer. Let Darnold have a little healthy go another year in the and draft. Last- they can develop. Uh, and let's see what happens. I know that's a hot take, but I'm going to buy into Adam Gase I'll, a little bit. I'm there. Go, go ahead, Anthony. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, roast Kyle real quick. This is, this is the last thing. Let me say <laughs> one thing. So, okay, I, I, I will give him this. Last year, they they would have had a winning record if Sam Darnold didn't get mono. I will give I will give him credit on that. And I like I, I did give him credit to be fair about the um, how they looked in the past month. Because they have been fighting and calling. Here, here's what I've got to say about Adam. Gale, have looked Kyle. vastly improved, but whenever Graham, he comes in, wrap, wrap us up he here. Go with Kyle and wrap us up. First year, and then it gets worse. If you want to talk about it, in 2016, takes over Miami team, goes 10 and six. The next year goes six and ten, 
The year after that goes seven and nine, gets canned. He comes in to the Jets, seven and nine, maybe he has a winning record, and what does he do? He gets worse. I mean, it's hard to get worse than one and thirteen uh, as of right now, but here's my last thing. When you talk about you know Brian Flores in Miami, he seems to get the most out of his players. He he makes his players look, you know, not better than they are, but he gets the most out of his players, and, and they seem to, to work well together. Yeah, exactly. And with Adam Gase, he seems to get the worst out of his players. I mean, he seems to – he seems Developed. Like, Sam Darnold, not a bad quarterback, and last year he's seeing ghosts. Like, there's got to be so, there's got to be something up with that. You know, <laughs> I don't know too many NFL quarterbacks that say, "Man, I just can't see anything, so I'm just throwing it." You know, I, I mean, I don't know who who does that, but that shouldn't happen. That, yeah, and you see, and you see what that Dwayne Haskins. He was throwing something that, the other day, and you see, and you see what that got him <laughs> into. He got he got benched. <laughs> back Hello. Start finally starts a game again. <laughs> And is in more trouble now than he was to begin with. Um, it, 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 and just going back to Adam Gase, if, if you're having to rely on Adam Gase to, to really change your franchise, that's impressive. Change, really, all right. You're not. You're just gonna have to rebuild after he's done. With you. <laughs> I mean, what Brian Flores uh, has done in Miami, I, I think you got to give him credit. He develops players and uh, really gets the most out of them. Adam Gase, he either gets the worst out of them or runs them off. And I, I think that goes to show that, you know, yeah, yeah, Adam Gates is not a good coach, but the Jets front office is also uh, horribly run. So shout out to all the, all the Jets fans still out there because, man, they yeah. sure do have heart. And I guess that's what you need uh, because I, I couldn't sit there and watch that. <laughs> hey, I would I would love to ask Ron Rivera right now if Kendall Minton yeah. was on their roster, who are you starting next I, Sunday? I, him or Dwayne I, I, Haskins? <laughs> he's about to pull a Josh Rosen out of there. You just wait. <laughs> Rivera hates Haskins, well, and he is so just mad. A, a he quick has side to note about now. Dwayne Haskins is hilarious. Why is he so unliked? Because last year they, you know, they, they draft him early, and then uh, Jay Gruden doesn't want to play him. And same thing this year. It's like you know, Dwayne Haskins should have, you know, should be the quarterback on that team. Should have the talent. And then what does he do? He gets uh, he, he finds a way for people not to like him, and then runs himself off and not able to play. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why real quick. It's because well, I saw a video last year that went viral, yeah. and he was finally starting, and he was trying to pump up his offensive lineman, and his offensive lineman literally wouldn't look him in the eye. They were just like they were giving him that look, like who is this kid trying to tell us what to do? I think he's got a little bit of Jamarcus Russell in him. He just doesn't care. Doesn't put him in effort. From what Ron Rivera has said, he said he he, he needs to work harder. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, after this week, he finally gets a chance to redeem himself. Throws two picks as a starter. He pulls a lemon pepper Lou and goes down to Magic City of Washington. And he and he's gonna do that after a horrible performance. After he finally has another gig, are you kidding me? That in itself just says enough about Dwayne Haskins, and that's yeah. why I guarantee he won't be. I, I, to, I didn't mean to bring us on that. I just just had to bring it up. But anyway, we can, we can keep going. Absolutely. Hey, it hey, wouldn't be an <laughs> NFL pod if I don't. I had to bring it up satisfy for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I, laughs> A donor to a Dwayne Haskins fund, if you know what I mean. Had to bring it up. But um, I think that's a good wrap on the discussion. 
Chase, I'm kind of glad that you defended hey, Adam Gates. I just want to say. Oh, that was an interesting I, I know we put a ball in it. little just, uh, heel turn like for your part. Um, like, he seemed like a toxic individual. So let, let's see what happens. Maybe maybe we'll have to ask the the followers out there what they what what they think yeah. about Adam. <laughs> and that's fair, totally fair. Maybe that so could, um, maybe that could be Paul. Hey, one more thing, Hampton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing, dude. Yeah, yeah that, hey, that was can... fun. I feel like we do our best whenever we're just yeah. like, oh, we get on topics we don't even plan on it. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, well, it's just yeah. so easy to talk about how bad the Jets are. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's very true. Yeah, it's just like it, it's just putting trash on the fire. I mean, it's just gonna burn. Like, it's just gonna burn. Yeah. Well, um, I think that put a great wrap on it. Uh, and with that, guys, it's time to talk about what I've been waiting on, been waiting on, been waiting on. It's SEC time. Uh, before we get into um, the SEC championship, I want to briefly discuss um, – mm. The comedy of horrors <laughs> is finally over on the plains. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Mario Cristobal. Oh, wait, no. His name nope. is Freeze. Oh, wait, no. His name is Bill Clark. Oh, wait. Oh, his it's name Bri- is Brian Brian, Har- Brian Harson. And you forgot Did I even say that right? Because I've Billy never heard of this guy before yeah. today. Oh my! Give that's right. Oh, I didn't have time to go through the eight coaches that turned him down. Uh, I didn't have time. Brian Harston from Boise State. The news breaks this afternoon. He is hired as the new coach of Auburn University. Um, and you know the spin zone is in effect. There have been a couple of reporters <laughs> saying this was Auburn's top target all alone. And I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. You think that this cat was their top target all along. Uh, the guy has been at Boise State since 2013, I believe. He's 69 and 19 as a, as a coach. Not a bad record at all. Um, and before that, he was at Arkansas State. So – Real, like really, really quickly. I, I, I'm. Well, I'll give my thoughts on it, and then I'll turn it over to y'all. I don't think this is like an awful, awful hire. I think this dude is probably a good coach, um, solid X's and O's guy. But this is the SEC. I mean, he's about to be going up against Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. Uh, Dan Mullen, Jimbo Fisher in recruiting, and this dude is from like Idaho. He is he doesn't know the South. He hadn't recruited the South, and I just think if you're going to fire Gus Malzahn, who has proven his teams at least win year in and year out pretty consistently, and every two to three years he has a chance to have a really really good team, and you fired him and bought him out for $21 million to get this cat that no one's heard about after swinging and missing at at least eight big names. I think no matter how you slice it, this whole 
coaching search fiasco has been nothing short of a circus and a little bit of a disaster. Uh, Man, Chase, I mean, I, me really quick, give me your what are your thoughts on coaching hire? It's always fun to kind of play like you know who, who's who's next. You know that's that's always a fun thing to play. Yeah. But I mean, dude, we, we just can't ignore that. It seemed like Auburn. Eh, when schools do this, you can't just do this based on a, hey, like donors don't like this guy or now's the time to get rid of him. Like you've got to have some kind of plan lined up, especially if you're going to buy this guy out, like Gus's contract. Um, man, I mean, obviously they didn't have a plan going forward. I said that it might have been uh, Clemson's defense coordinator the whole time. I was like, you know, hey, they're waiting for them to finish their bowl game. That's their guy. Um, maybe it's someone else who's like pretty high up that we don't even know is on the market um, just from, from kind of how Baylor handled it last year. Um, and the way that they just got rid of Gus, I was like, oh, this means they got like the next man up is, is I mean, mm-hmm. it just didn't, the timeline makes no sense. Why would you do it right before na- like national signing day, like the early signing? You did it right before them then. So then you had no coach. Oh, it might be Kevin Steele. Oh, wait, no, it's actually not going to be him. And then all these recruits are kind of sitting there saying, "Well, yeah. why would I go to Auburn and play for like an an unnamed coach?" And uh, man, I mean, it just the timing makes no sense. I think Auburn really, really, really botched this. Um, I think maybe maybe the only like thing that I can grab a hold of, and again, I'm not trying to just hate on Auburn. Yeah. So I'm trying to see some positivity in this. Is that maybe? what you see is that you see that Boise state um, has been a very consistent program and has always competed. And I think that if you could ever knock uh, Gus, while I think that he has beaten Saban more than any other coach out there, like he's done, he's done that he could beat Saban, which I think if you're an Auburn fan, you have to sit back and ask yourself, what do goals look like if I'm an Auburn fan? But I think that maybe they're looking for maybe a consistency of you know what we want to win 10 games and then we like like you know new year's six bowl is what where we want to be is somewhere like in that conversation not a beat alabama one year and then you know barely get to a bowl game the next year um it's it's just interesting but graham i know you were talking about how like gus's recruiting was not really Mm -hmm. a problem so graham what did this take you by surprise um like this higher do you think that he'll be able to maybe recruit nope. as well and develop talent? Like, what do you maybe see that this new coach um, will do for Auburn that maybe yeah. Gus could accomplish? I don't, I don't hate the Brian Harzen hire. I, I don't think it it was a. I don't think that Auburn struck out, uh, which some people anticipated as you know time went along. Um, but it was kind of surprised we didn't really hear uh, his name until you know this afternoon when they said, "All right, this is going to be the guy," um, and. and I was – it was a little bit unexpected. I think that uh, O'Brien Harrison hire, like you were talking about, Chase, yep. how he was just really consistent at Boise State. Uh, to me, that that seems more like a guy that would do well at like a, a South Carolina program where you've kind of struggled to, to make bowl games and you're, you're really up and yeah. down and your best is eight wins and your worst is two. Um, I, I think that like yes. a South Carolina program would be you know, really smart to hire O'Brien Harrison where it's like, okay, we need to consistently win. You know, if that's ten and two every year, nine and three, like we need to to consistently get better, and that will uh, help in the long run. But that's really not what Auburn's problem was. I, I think that you know, when you look back at it, 
Gus didn't have too many awful years. He did a pretty good job of going nine and three, ten and two. Um, no. You know, every you know few years really did good, and maybe twelve and one, um, something like that. So you're not, if you're Auburn, you're mm-hmm. you're not really looking for somebody to come, you know, steady the ship. You're you're looking for somebody to to set sail and really take off uh, to the next level. And, and I don't I don't know if Harson's the guy. Uh, talking about recruiting yep. a little bit, Gus was a, pr- a a pretty good recruiter. Auburn uh, has had pretty good classes, uh, you know, all throughout Gus's time there. Um, you know, not number one, but usually high most most of the time, top ten if not top twenty. Um, n- never, never really fell off. It's like, man, you know, the yeah. prospects are really starting to to not really buy what Gus is selling, um, and that can kind of show you, you know, if if players really believe in in a coach in the future is the recruiting, and uh, you know, Auburn's recruiting class wasn't uh, terrible this year until they canned him, and then everybody decommits, everybody leaves, and, and then the. Oh, and no, no one's going to commit to anonymous, <laughs> especially in college football. They want to know who they're going to play for, what no. their playing time is going to look like. You know how how do they fit in the in the scheme? You know what's the workout regimen going to look like? You know does is it a three year? You know uh, am I going to be here for three years so I can uh, go to the NFL or you know is it a four year kind of thing? You know, so is, is Brian Harson a strikeout? No, but if I'm an Auburn fan. I might be a little bit disappointed in this, you know, in, in this way. Not that I'm disappointed in Brian Harson. We've been waiting for, you know, about a week to find out um, who was going to be the, the Auburn head coach. And there was names thrown all over the wall. And you're like, man, I wouldn't mind having that guy as my coach. You know, Steve Sarkeesian, Mario Cristobal, Hugh Freeze. Like, okay, th- this guy might can do something. He can change, you know, and really take Auburn to the next level. And then you hire mm-hmm. Harson. And not that he's bad. It's just like, oh, well, okay. And so you kind of you kind of wonder that. Um, you you kind of wonder about that. And so I, if if I'm an Auburn fan, I might be a little bit disappointed in the fact that you waited a long time, and this is the guy you hear about on the day you hire him. There's never a oh three days ago. You know, Harson is our number one guy. That's who we're going after. Of course, whenever coach, whenever schools hire somebody, you know, whenever teams hire somebody, they're going to say this was our number one guy the whole time along because they want people to buy into him. But if I'm Auburn, it took this long to hire this guy. It wasn't like he had games that he had to play. Well, he played in the Mountain West Championship game, but give me a break. Come on, we're not we're not here to, we're not here for that. But as time went along, the anticipation kind of built, and then I was just like, oh. Well, this is the guy. And so I, I don't know if all Auburn fans are going to be satisfied uh, with this pick. It, it'll just kind of tell by February uh, and, and the next signing period. I, I think that you can really uh, you can really determine whether Auburn uh, made a good move or not. I, that was kind of a little bit longer than expected. But Kyle, what do you think about, you know, uh, what, do you, what do you think about Brian Harson? <laughs> you know, and, and my question to you is, if you're an Auburn fan, are you happy about Brian Harson? Are you going to be satisfied, or in two years you're going to be saying, "Man, I don't, I don't know why we hired him. We got to hire somebody else." I mean, I'm not one for hiring a coach and dumping the truck and firing them after a year or two. I think it takes time, and I think that that's never good for your culture. Um, but I yeah. think, I think you guys have all said it right. I think if you're going to pay a 21 million dollar buyout for a proven winning coach, 
just and you don't even have a plan in place like you, you think if you were going to do that you would know without a shadow of a doubt the guy you're going to get um and that's my only issue and that's that's where i think the biggest issue with auburn fans is that it's like man we just fired we just paid 21 million dollars to fire a winning coach and we didn't even have a point didn't even have a guy lined up um mm-hmm. that's where i think the biggest issue is um i really don't know much about this coach i'll be honest with you but only time will tell I mean, he's got a winning record uh, Auburn's a good culture, but I think something deeper is going on up top in Auburn. Um, but I don't know. That's kind of my thoughts on it. If that kind of puts a bow on this topic, but I mean, you you can't you can't you got to have a plan if you're going to do something as drastic as what they did, and it looks like they didn't. Um, but that's kind of my Hampton, thoughts. On I, I want to toss it to you, man. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question though, and I've actually, I've actually got like okay. two, but they're they're quick. Um, I'm just reading on kind of like the announcement on Reddit, and I, I'm seeing where like a lot of Boise State fans are just kind of like, uh, okay. And apparently, this guy have like they like Boise State fans just have mixed feelings about this guy. Not in the sense of that he's bad or like, good or bad, but they're just saying that he's that he's not uh, Chris Peterson. Like that that's the that's the reason that exactly. no one really ever loved him. And that he was kind of a, a tough act. Like that guy's a pretty tough act to follow. Do you do you feel like he's going to have the mm-hmm. same problem at Auburn? Like we're kind of over here, kind of hyping up Gus. I know we've talked about how bad he is, even on the SEC podcast, about like things they just haven't done well. But is Gus legitimately mm-hmm. a tough act to follow for this new coach? Yes, because um, you can make the argument that Gus Malzahn is a top two to three coach in Auburn history. Um, I know that sound like you think about it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. If you actually dig into the numbers, he is a top two to three coach in Auburn history probably um, with how consistent he was, um, his success against Alabama for the most part. Um, and I think, I do think he's going to have a tough act to follow because, um, you know, he follows Chris Peterson um at um, Boise, and, you know, uh, at Chris Peterson at Boise had them playing for New Year's Six Bowls, had them playing in, in contention for BCS championships. Well, he comes there, and, I mean, he's solid, but he never reached that height. Like, I mean, have you heard about Boise State in the past six or seven years the way that you heard about them mm-hmm. when they had Kellen Ward, Doug yeah, Martin in the game? No. Um I definitely, I definitely think he might have so, that problem. This, this is, so I'm always trying to like get back to the root of it, and I know that there's not like you can't always trace it, you can't always contact trace it all the way back to the source. But do you feel Ooh, like good one. I think we'd 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 kind of thrown out that <laughs> Gus might be looking at the end of his days at Auburn throughout this year, but whenever they lost Kool Aid, and this is a good transition into our uh, to, to the the recruiting. Um, yeah. National Signing Day, but do you think that it was the Kool Aid recruitment and how they seemed to be a lock? And they had who was was it Charles Barkley that was who Bo Jackson? Who was it that was like taking this guy to games? And then all of a sudden, like they were helping Gus. I mean, they recruited this guy since he was like twelve. This Kool Aid guy from Pinson Valley, and all of a sudden, like he flips and goes to Alabama his senior year because of like like like. Do you feel mm-hmm. like that was the pinnacle moment when? Gus lost his job is when the Kool-Aid commitment went out the window. So um, I think that was part of it. Um, Kool-Aid, uh, for those who don't know, you said he went to Pennsylvania and he absolutely did. 
but also he was coached yeah. by none other than Pat yeah. Nix, father of Bo Nix. So it's the guy who played with your starting quarterback, coached by uh, Auburn legend and Pat Nix, and you still didn't get him. Um, so, yes, that was huge. Another thing um, that was big was I don't think Gus and the Boosters got along because Gus did not – he went in the country club field with them. And the problem with this whole search is they've been meddling and trying to dictate everything, even dictating to some of their candidates who um, they wanted them to put on staff. And that's why Kevin Seal was so squarely in the mix. A lot of the Boosters wanted him as the head coach. And um, there was some pushback from the fans and um, a lot like a campaign by one of the boosters who didn't want him. Um, you know, they kind of started the Stop the Seal campaign, and that was partly why he didn't get the job. So I think, you know, that and the fact that, um, you know, Gus losing to South Carolina didn't help this year. And really that was right around the time Kool-Aid committed to Alabama – um, so I do think that was um, a turning point for sure. Um, but to transition to recruiting, since you brought up Kool-Aid, um, Graham, I know you were talking about Gus being a um, a good recruiter, and he, he was. But, man, Auburn's class this year, even before Gus got fired, um, y- do y'all know in the SEC only like Vanderbilt and South Carolina – have a worse class right now than Auburn. Auburn's ranked 12th out of like 14 SEC classes in recruiting. That's just absolutely pathetic, and there's really no excuse for it. Um, And so I think uh, with a new coach, you know, that'll help kind of ease in. They're going to have to. And they'll probably get (laughs) some guys in the late signing period. Um, But, you know, I mean, they're going to have to to fill out the class, but um, I mean, their recruiting class now, their best guy is a guy named Lee Hunter um, down from the Mobile area. He's a defensive lineman. He's a solid player, but I wouldn't say – He's not the next Eric Brown is what you're saying. He's an elite game-changing type player. He is not the next Eric Brown. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's rough for them down there. But, Chase, I know we want to talk about recruiting real quick. Did you have any um, questions you want to ask me? Uh, to kind of recap uh, National Signing Day last week. Let's not even skip around, dude. Let's talk about not only who Alabama got, but let's talk about who Alabama got them from. Like, dude, LSU, they've they've lost coaches. They've lost commits in the past week. What do you make of the defending national champions not even going to a bowl game? And this – I mean, I, just just take it away, man. I mean, the recruiting looked whack. They said that they were going to beat Alabama in recruiting, and I, I've seen no, – I just hadn't seen it. Um, go for it, bro. What do you think about the, the mm-hmm. falling apart, even in the recruiting trail, um, with LSU and some of those flips to Alabama? Yeah, uh, they – there's a lot going on down there. I know we've talked about on this pod, and I don't want to get into it again with the – Title Nine stuff, um, but also, I mean, they are com- they are blowing up their staff. I mean, <laughs> literally, there ain't nobody coming back other than Edo. Um, and basically, what they're going to try to do is his fault. Just, just remember ahead. that throughout this, it's it's not his fault. Of course, 
nothing's ever his fault. Um, but they're going to try to strike gold again like they did in 2019. And the reason they were so good in 2019 was, one, of course, they were talented, but they also had two elite coordinators in Joe Brady and Dave Ronda. So they're going to try to do that again. Um, but, I mean, they've had an awful season. I give them credit for the heart that they've showed. Uh, not that they showed, that they've shown um, versus Florida and Ole Miss. Uh, I think they found a quarterback in Max Johnson. Kayshawn Butte has been a really good player, a good receiver for them. Um, but it has affected them in recruiting. And on signing day, Alabama um, with an outside linebacker that had been committed to them for a while named Keanu Cott, um, really good player, top 75 player in the nation. And then my personal favorite that Alabama flipped is a guy named JoJo Earl from Alito, Texas, the same high school that Jason McClellan is from. And listen, guys, if y'all hadn't watched his tape, Jason, I know you did because I told you to, it's Jalen Waddle made over. And I, I'm not saying he's going to be Jalen Waddle, but his tape is Jalen Waddle-esque. Um, I think he could – he has the potential to come in – be a day one impact player, especially with Alabama losing a bunch of guys um, in the receiving core. Um, I think both of those flips were huge. Um, and, you know, adding that to the type of class that Alabama had already had um, up to that point with guys like Tommy and James Brockermeyer that Kyle and I were talking about pre-show, uh, J.C. Latham, Dallas Turner, uh, Deontay Lawson, I mean, Kool-Aid. Uh, just blue chip after blue chip after blue chip. Um, I think, honestly, um, it might have been one of the greatest recruiting days in Alabama history, and Alabama's had a lot of <laughs> uh, good ones here recently with uh, old daddy saving us. So, home. Hampton, I, there's, there's a little part of me that wants to ask you this, and this doesn't has a little bit to do with uh, signing day. We've talked a little bit about coaches. But do you think this is the greatest, like – class is going to come through Alabama and here is why I'm asking that is because there's a chance if Jeremy Pruitt comes to Alabama is there any way that Jeremy Pruitt at defense coordinator Sark and offense coordinator Nick Saban could they put together a better class than this or is this everything that you've ever wanted and like I mean because you you look at this class the only other class that really sits next to it is Ohio State and like you got to give credit for credit, too. They've got a really good class yeah. coming up, dude. They they have hit the recruit. They they were they, they were the team that started off this recruiting class, and everybody was recruit like everybody was going to Ohio State. And like slowly they've lost a few, but just like that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles. But they they're still towards the top. But like, how yeah. do you do you feel like this is the greatest one to ever come through? And and, and give me a couple of people that you think are going to be like those elite of the elite um, of this class. Uh, well, I think the class that really rivals it is that 2017 Alabama class, like when we had Tua, Jalen Watt, or not Jalen Waddle, Tua, Jerry Judy, Najee, Alex Leatherwood, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, um, Dylan Moses, LeBron Ray. I mean, that class, um, I went through it like last week. You know who the like 20th best guy in the class was? <laughs> Mac Jones, who's a Heisman contender this year. Right, that class is super, super deep. Um, I definitely think this one 
it is arguably um, the best uh, just from positions of need. I mean, they killed it, um, you know, with wide receiver recruiting, which Corey Brooks, Jai Hall, uh, Christian Leary, and the JoJo Earl guy that I discussed earlier. I think all four of those guys can come in and get playing time, um, especially like Earl. And um, I think Ja'Cory Brooks is pretty polished. So I think there's a good chance for him too. Um, and J- I think J.C. Latham and Brockermeyer have a good shot, especially with, um, you know, Alex Leatherwood leaving. And they're gonna, there's going to be a couple um, – there's going to be a tackle position open. And then a couple guard positions, I could really see them contributing. Defensively, maybe a guy like Kyrie Jackson, a JUCO, um, number one JUCO cornerback in the nation, 6'3", 200, really long athletic, really physical player. Um, He could come in, slide opposite Job in the other cornerback spot. Um, And other than that, I don't think defensively, there might be a couple, like a defensive lineman like Damon Payne, who can come in and add to the rotation. Uh, but I don't see I don't see Kool-Aid coming in and immediately making an impact. I think he needs a year or two like Marlon Humphrey did. Um, but, I mean, I, Alabama could sign a better class than this. Uh, but if they do, it wouldn't be by much. This is, this is an incredible class. And, um, you know, Alabama signed a great class. Georgia um, signed another good class. They got Xavier Story from IMG. On sunny day, another five-star outside linebacker who's really good. Um, so you know, the SEC is the king of recruiting. Hey, 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 there's really go ahead, Chase. Uh, no I, I, no I, doubt about that. Go ahead. You're good. I, I I've got one. Sorry, I, I'm just I was gonna let you. I've got one for Hampton, and then I've got one for you, Graham. Whenever. No, I, go ahead. I, go I was gonna talk about more up. of the class as a whole. Like you know, the, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, Hampton, I got – this is – and you can answer this one probably pretty quickly. Um, So, it's every year that Alabama flips guys that have been committed to a school for a year, two years. National Signing Day comes, and it's like the night of, all of a sudden, Alabama flips people. What is Saban saying to these people that, like – the, I, I just don't understand how even like the McClellan guy last year committed to OU for two years. The day yeah. of National Signing Day flips and goes to Alabama. And you've got some of these other guys that like what is what are they? Is it more of what's happening at the school that they are potentially si- like signing to that they're kind of getting wary of, or is it the pitch that Alabama is giving to them that makes them have these number one classes each year? Um, I think it's partly due to the school that they're committed to. Like with LSU, I mean, there's a lot of trouble brewing. Same thing with Auburn. These kids are making business decisions, and um, it isn't a smart business decision to go to either one of those schools right now with all the uncertainty. When you can go to Alabama or even, you know, some other programs in the SEC and around the country that are more of a sure thing. Uh, But when a guy commits – Saban and his staff never stop recruiting that kid. And the pitch is pretty simple. Um, you know, he lays out what coming to Alabama can do for that person, not only, um, you know, athletically, but professionally um, and, you know, mentally making you a man um, and being, you know, an impact uh, role model in your community. Um, and he – I'll never forget my favorite 
uh, recruiting story is Julio Jones saying um, the, when he knew that he wanted to go to Alabama, is Saban told him, um, you know, we want you, but guess what? We're going to win with you or we're going to win without you. Um, and it's a simple pitch. And, you know, you're thinking this is when Alabama wasn't even that good. And he just – and Julio was the number one player in the country. And you tell a kid that, and a kid who really loves competition and the type of kid that – Saban doesn't just recruit talent. He's very big into the psychological makeup of a kid. And a kid who loves competition loves being told, like, I'm not promising you anything other than a chance to compete. And I think that's really inviting for some guys and the track record of getting players in the NFL. I mean – uh, I think almost every NFL team has an Alabama player on it um, to get drafted early and have a lot of success. So um, I think it's a combination of both the school and, um, you know, the school and his pitch to uh, the kids and their parents. I think uh, that message really resonates that, with That's uh, well said because I, I think you tagged on the – the parents thing at the end and uh, not like you were covering your tail, but dude, I mean, that's, that's honestly, that, I, I think he said a lot of times when he talks about that. That's a big group. thing. And Graham, I wanted to ask you something. <laughs> we are the Trojan tailgate podcast network. You you were telling me some crazy stuff about this recruiting <laughs> class. Just when it came to some, when it came to some transfer uh, players. Yeah. And I, and I kind of bring that up just because of like, it's always Troy seems to have one of those recruiting classes that you can always name a big name program that has a worse recruiting class than them. Like last year it was uh, USC. And then this year, it's, you know, it's probably Auburn. No, Auburn not, worse not, not statistically they don't. Catch me um, up, Graham. You know, Troy doesn't have uh, any four-star commits. Unless you, if you're looking at 247, then Troy doesn't have any uh, four-star commits. But if you look at – I believe Rivals has one of the running backs Troy has committed as a four-star. But I, I like the, Troy's recruiting class in the sense that they got – transfers that'll impact immediately um they they got a quarterback from missouri who who's the backup for kelly bryant um i think he's got good talent just he was just getting just kept getting beat out at missouri and, and i think he'd probably do well at, at a place like troy um and, and the quarterback room at, at troy is gonna be you know not gonna be open but i, I think that chip Lindsay will, will let everyone have a chance at it. I don't think that any one guy sealed the spot uh, um, into the future. Uh, they got another guy running back. Uh, they got two transfers from Florida State. One is uh, Ladamian Webb, who was uh, previously uh, Alabama like Player of the mm-hmm. Year uh, in 2017, I believe, 2017, maybe 2018. Uh, he might have done it for two years. Uh, played at Beauregard, really carried their team to a state championship. Talk about a guy that they just – they gave it to him and let him make plays, and he did. Um, he could be, pre- initially committed to Mississippi State, didn't qualify uh, academic-wise, had to go to the JUCO route, uh, and then committed to, to Florida State where uh, he, he did get touches, but um, you know the, the, the program down there is you know, not in shambles, just you never know what you're going to get. Uh, they, they got another guy, uh, a defense lineman, um, from Florida State named Jamarcus Chapman. I, I'm not too familiar with him, but uh, the, the Troy class w- was pretty solid, um, number three in the Sun Belt. But uh, one thing that Troy always does is they, they do a really good job of letting freshmen play. Um, the, the, pa- the, pa- the past few years they've had uh, you know, a few freshman All-American uh, they do, players. Yeah. And so that 
if you're a recruit, you, you would be uh, willing to listen. If you know what, I have a chance to play and actually be successful um, from the beginning. A solid uh, class from Troy. Uh, I'm not going to say it's you know terrible or spectacular. I think you got what you needed, um, and maybe they might add another transfer to. We'll just have to see. Um, I, I did hear what Chip Lindsay said that they let, they purposely recruited a little bit of a smaller class in order to um, leave the you know, leave the room, you know, some room in case some people wanted to come back or maybe get some transfers. Um, but overall, a, a fairly good class uh, from for Troy's sake. Um, but I, I got a question for Hampton since he's a little more of the recruiting a- expert than I am. I kind of keep up with certain teams, but he seems to do a little bit better job of keeping up with uh, all of recruiting as a whole. Uh, Hampton, it doesn't have to be SEC. It can be like, you know, any team in college football. Give me one team that is trending upward. You know, like the recruiting the past couple of years has probably got has gotten better, and you're going to really start to see that you know play out in the next few years. It, they don't have to be you know a team that you know necessarily is a a winner from you know the past five years. You know, just maybe a team that they've been recruiting well, and that's going to really you know like you know show on the field you know here soon. And maybe one team that's trending down recruiting wise, and you know the past few years they've recruit not been as recruiting uh, good of classes. And so that's going to end up harming, you know, and not really hurting the play on the field. So one good team, one mm-hmm. team trending up, one team trending down. Uh, so I'll give you two real quick teams that are trending up. Um, I think Michigan yeah. has actually recruited really well, mm-hmm. um, all, th- all things considered. Uh, I don't know if it will translate to on-field success because I just don't know if I trust Harbaugh, but – um, I know they have a pretty good class this year. Uh, I know they got a kid from California named Xavier Worthy, uh, really electric wide receiver that Alabama kind of wanted. Uh, but, he, you know, he ends up going to Michigan, a uh, really dynamic player. Another school that is trending up, uh, Texas A&M. They've been consistent um, in recruiting since Shimbo's gotten there. Um, and Texas is a big pipeline for recruiting, but also – um, I think this year the difference, they got a couple of legit pass rushers in their class, um, especially with Shamar Turner, outside linebacker, uh, defensive line, well, more defensive line uh, type. From He's from Texas. And um, a guy named Tun Mees Adele, um, and he, he's a really good player too. Um, so those would be the two that I would say are trending up. Uh, I know I mentioned it before, and I'm not – um, I'll give you two that are trending down, not to be a broken record. Auburn's trending down. Uh, they did not have a good class this year, um, and I don't see really how it's salvaged to the point that it's going to be a top 10, uh, 10 or so <laughs> class. And then the other, um, the other school, South Carolina, their class is pathetic. Mm. They have like eight commits, and I think they're all three stars or something like that. Um, they're really, really bad. So I would say um, those are the two, um, mm-hmm. you know, the two teams that are trending down, and then uh, Michigan and Texas A&M yeah. are trending up. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty I good. Good question, Kyle, Graham. Good question. question. Kyle, are you still there? Go ahead, Chase. What's yes, up, brother? I think me and you kind of sit on this of, like, just not really being <laughs> too in-depth. But here's a good question for you, I think, more in, in a whole is do you feel like – and I heard a really interesting argument for this today. Do you feel like the like the, the college football playoff has ruined recruiting when it comes to if you're not Alabama, 
I mean, really, Alabama, Georgia, all those teams like like uh, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, like Oklahoma, just to name those off the top. If you're not one of those teams, like, do people like has it has it kind of ruined going to any other school trying to make them better? Like, do is it all about the rich getting red, richer? If that makes sense. Uh no, I don't. I don't think so because I think you got teams like Georgia who have been on the cusp of winning it all. Um, who still are having some success. Uh, I mean, even like A&M, like they haven't been a, a contender, but they were this year. Um, while I do think, I mean, this is a topic for another day, I don't think the playoffs should be expanded because at the end of the day, there's only two teams that can win it all. I mean, it's going to be Alabama-Clemson this year, and I don't think either playoff game will really be that close. Um, and I think expanding it is ludicrous uh, just because I think to a certain extent you may be right because – Alabama and Clemson, the rich are going to get richer. I mean, they're the only two teams that have a chance to win it at all this year. Um, so maybe you're right in a sense. But I think you still have teams like A&M who, who I've, especially earlier in the pod when I was listening, it sounded like there was a little bit of, uh, are they going to be get this year? But I think, I think Jimbo's done a good job over there. I think they've recruited well. And I think teams like that have really been on the cusp and maybe a year out, but I still see them improving a lot. I mean, you even got your, your fun teams like Cincy, your BYUs, your Coastals. Um, so I don't, yeah. I don't, I do partly agree that the rich are always going to be rich. And I never see, not in the near future at least, I, I will never see a situation where I actually believe there are eight teams that can win a national championship in college football. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think your, your blue bloods are going to lead the way. Um, and really, it's going to ultimately come down to them. But it is, it is a fun story to talk about Coastal and them. But, there's they have no chance of winning it at all. So I kind of think you're right, but at the same time, rich are going to stay rich, and that's what drives the whole league, the whole nation. Um, I w- let me let me let me put this because I, I think your Texas A&M example is a really good example, and I, I want to get Hampton's kind of opinion because it this really was thought for bro- thought provoking for me. And Graham, I think you were sitting in the room, we were listening to it. Um, the thing is, is like like I guess what take COVID away for a second. But I'm thinking about those teams like the Penn States, like the like, you know, like even I mean, Florida's gotten better. But like those those teams like Oregon and USC, like how do you get some of these guys back in the picture? And and if you've only got four teams and recruits only want to go to those four teams that are going to make the playoff. Like, what do you do with the Penn States of the world, who are great programs, the Wisconsin's of the world? It's like if you're not Ohio State, no one wants to go to you. If you're not Alabama, if you're not Georgia, no one – like, it's not that no one wants to go to you, but you're going to have five stars out of the guru. about that, guys. Had a little technical difficulty. Um, I'm going to kick it over to Chase. He was talking about uh, making a point about a John Calipari super team. And I was getting – Getting really intrigued. What you got for me, brother? Yeah, and, and I think the comp that I was trying to make um, was that it seems like, you know, all these five-star recruits only want to go to Duke and they only want to go to Kentucky. And I think that we're starting to see a little bit of that when it comes to um, college football. And, Kyle, I just want to know what you think because I know maybe that, that comp with uh, college basketball might make a little bit more sense. But are, do you think we're getting to that where you don't see some of the – like don't see the Penn State's the Wisconsin's, the Florida, the uh, the USC or Oregon, you don't see those teams or even, I mean, even like a Texas, like you're not seeing these teams. Uh, uh, Texas probably, I don't want to throw them in there. That's not really it. 
But you, <laughs> you just don't see these teams that used to be in those New Year's Six Bowls that were kind of on the cusp of making national championships the next year. You just kind of see, like, the richer getting richer and everyone else is just uh, kind of getting the, uh, the, the, the trim of the fat, you know what I'm saying? So what, what do you think yeah. about all that? I actually think that's a really good comparison. But I also think, like, we kind of, in our group message, we kind of had this discussion a little bit. And I think the rich getting richer is the beauty of the league. Like, I think as, mm-hmm. far, as, as far as basketball concerns, like, everybody wants to beat Duke. Everybody wants to beat Kentucky. Like, that's what you're striving for. And obviously USC and all of them have been off the map for a minute. But I think, I think that having Alabama dominate the past decade is good for the sport because it gives everybody a benchmark of what we're shooting for. That's like who you're trying to knock off. And Clemson's done a good job of that. But, dude, I don't know. I mean, USC is falling off the map. And, but they, they've looked better this year. But, dude, I, I mean, for, I, I do think the, the – uh, I don't want to I keep saying the league, but I don't know how to address the college football. I guess the college football world is better when yeah. USC and Penn State is relevant. I do believe that the Michigans of the world, um, when you got multiple people like that, but but I do think the rich getting rich, richer is better for the entire uh, football world. But at the same time, I don't know. It's it's a good point to bring up, Hampton. What do you think? I totally agree. Um, the blue bloods are what make the sport. Just like in the NFL, the NFL is better when the Cowboys are good, the 49ers are good, uh, the Dolphins, the traditional powerhouse teams. I think the NFL thrives off that, just like um, same thing in college football. Um, yeah, the rich are going to get richer, but in my opinion, there are enough good players to kind of go around. Like take Oregon, for example. You mentioned them. They had an off year this year. But before that, they'd kind of been in contention um, most every year. Like, think about, you know, with Herbert and, um, you know, Herbert had a good year and they went to the Rose Bowl. Um, But they have um, a really good recruiting class a couple years ago with getting Kayvon Thibodeau um, and Panay Sewell and another kid named Noah Sewell, who's a linebacker. And then uh, what's his name? Justin Flo, his middle linebacker, who was an absolute stud. Um, so they're recruiting really well out there. And those guys aren't traditionally they're West Coast kids, so they have like a different reach. Um, and then you look at a team like BYU. BYU has a stud quarterback that's going to be probably a first round pick, and I think they're like a legit top ten team. Um, and they hadn't they had to be more creative with the way they recruited. Um, but there were enough good players to get in there with the measurables that they liked and that they preferred. And they developed those players, um, into good, you know, solid contributors for them. So I definitely think the rich get richer, but I also think if, if you're a smart coach, um, and can, you know, identify the type of player that you want, uh, you can coach them up to be competitive. Not all the time. I mean, that Jimmy's and Joe's matter. Um, but I think there is a way to kind of compete without having, um, you know, the blue, like, five stars everywhere on your team, I I, guess. I think, Graham, I want to bring you into this because this is – I want to make this connection, and and, and I want to – I'm going to push back a little bit because I don't know if – I'm still digesting how I feel about this because I would have told you before today I'm not for expanding the playoff. 
But I know that I've said on this podcast, and I have talked to Kyle about this, the most fun thing about the NFL is that anybody can win at any given week. And when it comes to college football, the the same four teams are making it to the playoff every single year. We even see Ohio State this year barely played any games and still got Mm -hmm. in. Graham, so when we're talking about the rich getting richer, it seems like also the rules bend for the rich because – the rich just keep getting richer. So do you feel like this is healthy for the sport, or do you feel like maybe maybe as an expanded playoff would help accomplish the letting – like maybe some of these uh, – like think about if Cincinnati got into the playoff this year, if you had eight teams or something crazy like that, um, and all of a sudden like, hey, like we don't have to go undefeated or actually even be in like the power five to – snag good recruits like what do you how do you feel like that would all play out yeah let me uh answer your first question your i guess your first question first is is the best way to put it um i I would just say there's a a thing that i would like to call rich privilege i I think that you know you're talking about you know the the you know rules you know bend with you know the rich people you know that that's just how it is that they bend the rules for the people that pay the bills and if they didn't bend the rules for Ohio State to make it into the Big Ten championship game, then uh, Ohio State probably doesn't make it into the playoff, which takes money away from the Big Ten. And so I, I hate to say it, but so much of, of college you know, football especially is about money, and, and it's all about making more money and growing the business. And so they don't really care as much about what the fans think. They care about what the fans will pay for. And – um, so eventually I, I believe they'll expand the playoff just because, you know, if you, money. If you yeah. add more games, that means more money. That's more, you know, not, not this year, but there's more ticket sales. There's, you know, higher, you know, TV revenue, you know, more ad money, more sponsors, things like that. Um, I would really be in favor for maybe, uh, the, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, the playoff, the college football playoff committee. I, I think that, you know, it, it's biased in its ways and, um, uh, in some type, in some of their selections, um, not they say they do a terrible job, but you know, just the way I see things, sometimes they they don't always uh, get it right. But yeah. m- maybe if they would uh, allow there to be some flexibility, you know, this year there's five. Uh, we would say that there's five teams that could compete for the national championship. The four that made it in, and maybe Texas A and M. After that, yeah, you know, do we really think Cincinnati could win the national championship? No, nope. you know. Coast Carolina, no. Would I think it'd be fun to watch them? Heck yeah, I would love to see Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina play Notre Dame or uh, Ohio State on a seems like a not a down year, but just a year where you don't really know if they've been tested yet. But what if uh, this little proposal? What what if the playoff committee could uh, change the number of games and can change the number of teams per year? What if there's one year where you know there's six teams? Or you know, there's six teams that are just undefeated, really good. When I say that, there's one Pac-12 team that is just dominating out there. You know, then there's a Big 12 team, absolutely, you know, undefeated, playing good football. SEC, ACC, Big 10. What if every conference had an undefeated team that was really just wrecking people? Uh, you know, like we've seen, you know, out of Alabama, and with the exception of one game, Clemson this year. What if the College Football Playoff Committee could, you know, you know what? We see that there's eight teams that could compete for the, the national championship this year. That's how we see it. And then other years, you know what? There's only four teams that we really think are good enough to be called national champions. What if they could fluctuate that? Would y'all be interested in that at all? 
No. No? Well, and here's why. Here's why. Well, I take it back. Because Pam doesn't like it. I don't approve of it either. No, it's okay. <laughs> hey, as I told Chase all the time, film is subjective. <laughs> college yeah. football playoff committee is subjective. You know, yeah. it's all good. Um, the only reason I would say no is because I can't remember a year that there hadn't been but only about four teams that could win it all. Like, um, even like, even this year, I mean, Texas A&M, I think, is deserving over Ohio State, and we can – I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but that's still four teams that I think deserve to get in. There's never been a year where I'm like, oh, yeah, there's six or eight teams that I think could legitimately win the title. Um, so, I would – for that reason, I would say no. Um, but I'm sure eventually, like you said, they will do it for for monetary um, reason. So, that would be my uh, – my uh, suggestion on that or my answer on that. Y'all got anything to add on it? I understand, I understand your pushback. I understand it. But, yeah, like like I said, the playoff committee doesn't care what the fans want. They care what the fans will pay for. Exactly. <laughs> and what lines that pocketbook. Yep. That's right. You're right. Chase, um, Kyle, y'all got anything else? Are we ready to move on to the, uh, the, the big enchilada, the SEC championship? I'm good. Yeah, I, I, You're I good? just think that uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, Kyle should go and see uh, Father before uh, before the Notre Dame game. <laughs> <laughs> they play that Dude, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough, brother. <laughs> Bro, did, did y'all see that video of that lady? Whenever they put Notre Dame in, and she was like, yeah. "Oh no, oh no." <laughs> she was like Michael Scott when Toby came back from Costa Rica. Hey, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, guys. Uh, Saturday, we had a heck of a game that we got to enjoy between Alabama and Florida. Alabama coming out on top, 52-46 to 46, uh, against the Florida Gators in, uh, in Atlanta. It was a back-and-forth game. Alabama jumps out to 35-17 to halftime lead. And then Florida comes storming back with 14 points in the third to make it 35-31. Alabama retakes the lead, forty-two to thirty-one, um, and then eventually forty-five, thirty-one. Florida scores again. Then Alabama finally um, scores that last touchdown to kind of uh, put you know put them on top and uh, cruise to another SEC championship victory. Um, I think this game there was a lot to learn from it. I also thought it was just a really enjoyable game. So, uh, Kyle, I want to get your thoughts on it, man. What? What was your biggest takeaway from the game, um, biggest play, and um, who who kind of stood out to you? My biggest thought on the game is I was shocked at how well Florida responded in the second half. Mm. I honestly think they were going to wear down and wear out, and I thought Alabama was just going to cruise to a pretty easy victory. Um, but, I mean, honestly, I think that was good for Alabama to be tested down the stretch there. For sure. Because, I mean, they, they really haven't been tested since the Georgia game um, in the first half. Um, sense of, of that game, and I think that was actually really good for them to get tested. Um, but ah, dude, Bama's too good, their offense is too good. Um, and honestly, Tony and Pitts, that combo mm-hmm. is scary, mm-hmm. especially with Draft. Yes. It's like that's the reason they never went away because they were just striking down the field quick. Um, but you said my player of the game, play of, I, I'm gonna instead of a player of the game, I'm gonna do play of the game. It's got to be Mechie, man, oh. the middle linebacker. <laughs> It'll linebacker because I mean 
Bama, Bama was driving. They hadn't been stopped yet. Florida gets a huge interception, and Mechie said not so fast. Um, that would have been, I believe, a huge turning point of the game because Florida was kind of having their way too early on a little bit. Florida goes down mm-hmm. and takes the lead. Who knows? I mean, that 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 turned the whole first half for sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I really thought that Florida would kind of not necessarily lay down but more so give out, um, especially with the, the firepower of Bama's offense. So that really impressed me the most. But Bama's too good, the offense too good timely plays and the undisciplined Florida had a lot of third down mistakes in the first half mm-hmm. um and you can't do that against Alabama and expect to win you just can't that's kind of my overall thoughts on the game uh Graham what you got yeah I I thought that uh it was a very entertaining game but I thought that Florida was just a good matchup with Alabama I think that what they did well they throw the ball down the field they make vertical pass plays you know with uh, Pitts and Tony, like you were talking about, um, defense isn't that spectacular. Don't really have much of a run game, but that's what Alabama sort of struggled with earlier in the season when they played Ole Miss. It was passing the ball down the field, and Alabama's defense just seemed to be breaking down in coverage. And you know, got to give you know Florida. They they made some plays. I mean, that you know they were making catches. You know, there was one one touchdown that Florida scored where they had Sertan spinning in circles. He didn't know you know, what side of the field the ball is coming to. Uh, but I, I just thought that Florida was a good matchup for, for Alabama's defense. And, you know, I'm talking about from Florida's perspective, you know, in order for it to, you know, them to be successful, they they threw the ball well. Um, they had, you know, elite playmakers, and that's what it takes to beat Alabama. Um, but didn't that kind of, you know, you saw, you saw that earlier in the season, but then it leads you to the playoff to think, you know, well, is Notre Dame a good matchup for Alabama? Is Clemson a good matchup for Alabama? Ohio State, you know, and, and all the other teams, you know, talking about, you know, comparing to each other. Um, but that I think that was why it was so exciting. They were just, it was just such a good matchup, you know, two Heisman contenders, well, three Heisman contenders in Kyle Trask. Four. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle <laughs> Trask, Mac Jones, and Devontae Smith. I, I think that, you know, it, it's fun to watch good teams play. And it's fun to watch good players on good teams play each other. Like it's you know, it's one v one. You know who who's going to end up you know taking you know taking the lead and end up winning the game. It's it's fun because you know it's like well Florida scored a touchdown. Now it's up to Alabama to respond and vice versa. I, I thought it was an entertaining game. I think that it's something we haven't seen a lot of of Alabama this year. Just one of those close that could go either way. Um, so. For Alabama fan, it was uh, a little bit nerve wracking at times, a little bit frustrating at times. But after after it was over, you're like, man, I enjoyed watching that. It it was a good football game, um, you know. Offensively, if, if you like defense, I, I think that you'd be miserable. But I enjoyed it. Chase, what what, do you, what are your thoughts on you know this SEC championship game? And you know, we we understand that you know Florida lost to A and M earlier, but is Florida better than Texas A&M or was it just a good matchup? No, that's, that's a great question. I didn't even think about whether the matchup itself um, was why it was so close. Cause I, I kind of almost went back to what I asked just a second ago, like dude, that Florida team. And again, I didn't think about whether it was just the matchup, but dude, that Florida team right there could beat a lot of teams. And, and it, the way that Ohio state struggled, in their Big Ten championship game, makes me wonder, like how. It, again, it just makes you. It just makes you wonder, like what happens if, like, if, if Ohio State were to play like that Florida team. 
Um, this mm-hmm. this makes you wonder. Um, not not to go back to that, but I think that Florida looked a whole lot better than Alabama thought that they. Uh, I think Alabama fans thought that they would. Um, and mm-hmm. in an overall team perspective, we've heard about Kyle Trask and uh, Pitts. We we've heard about them, but we haven't seen them yet. And dude, I will give you guys a comp that I think that dude Pitts looks like Darren Waller out there, man. He is, <laughs> dude. I mean, I mean, legit though. And I. I was I enjoyed watching him play football. Um, he's incredible, and, and I'm really excited to see what he does in the league. And I think Alabama went to the game with the perspective of, "Hey, look, we in the first half looked like this. The second half did not. The first half it looked like, look, Florida's got a good team, but Kyle, like, like Pitts is not gonna. Uh, I'm sorry, Pitts is not gonna beat us. That's 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 like anybody else could beat us, but Pitts is not. And that kind of fell apart in the second half, I felt like, because he started getting open. He's just one of those guys that's yeah. super hard to cover. Um, I, I can hear Hampton yawning on me, so I might as well go in and out. This is – Kyle, I want to ask you this. Um, being the Chiefs fan that you are, <laughs> it, let me let me just take you down this road for a second. So, Travis Kelsey, they're talking about him being the offensive player of the year, that he has more like passing guards than anyone else in the league. Is there a chance and, – and just go with me here for a second. This might be too hot of a take for some of our uh, hardcore Alabama fans in this podcast. Yeah. Do you think that – do you think that Pitts is, like – was he the number one player? Like, I don't even really know what, how to phrase this. Just how Kelsey was the number one, like, offensive player in the NFL, like, if he wins offensive player of the year. Is Pitts the same thing, man? Because I don't know if, if Kyle Trask has a season that he does if he doesn't have a specimen at tight end. Um, like Pitts, what what do you think, dude? I I think you're right, and here's kind of why. If we're looking at value on the field versus off the field, it is very clear that when Kyle Pitts is off the field, they are a completely different team. Um, especially we saw Tony breaking free a couple times, and I think that's due to the the attention that Kyle Pitts draws. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, I mean, Pitts didn't play against LSU, right? Yeah, he didn't. Correct. What what happened? What happened there? I feel like uh, I, I mean Pitts will be. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to put that put too bold of a take. That's too bold of a take. <laughs> when you look Say at Pitts, uh, oh, oh, no, I'm not gonna. <laughs> but when you look at Pitts, though, like he looks more like just a bigger receiver in the NFL. For sure. Like like Travis Kelsey, I think that's a good comp just because. Literally, Pitts. I've seen you can literally just throw the ball up to him, and he's going to come down with it. Kelsey is a Kelsey's everything, though. He's a smooth route runner. He's going to be open. He can go up and get it. He can run, which Pitts can too. They can both run and jump. But dude, I like the comp, and I want to see the Chiefs make a move. And let's go, Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski double tight end for Pat Mahomes for the next <laughs> game. How about that? that I don't think anybody in the NFL would like that. I, I think it's, it's going to come down to how the draft went last year. And, you know, the Chiefs sit back and they get Clyde Edwards E. Lair, and everybody's like, man, that's exactly who the Chiefs needed to make the, like, to, to really be better. <laughs> like, if they get Kyle Pitts, the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl the next 10 years in a row. I, I just don't, I, I, I just don't ever. <laughs> they might do it anyway. They might yeah, do they it could. anyway. I, I just, I don't see them losing if they get Kyle Pitts. That would not even be fun. Can, can I ask you this then, Hampton? Who's the, who's the, uh, I think maybe, I, I'm getting a, better way I think of asking this is who is a okay. bigger matchup problem out of the three uh, like non-QB Heisman uh, dude I'm over here putting him in the Heisman talk listen to me but like 
between Pitts and Smitty, who's the harder like matchup problem? Ooh. Um. Good question. I mean, I think Pitts is probably the bigger matchup problem just because he's six six and can move like he can. Um. Now, as far as impact on the team, I think they make the same impact. Um. Only like I mean, Smitty, the impact that he's made on Alabama this year, um, not only this year but his whole career, has been nothing short of incredible. Uh, he had 15 catches for 184 yards and two touchdowns against Florida, and he was the primary focal point for Florida to stop too, um, at least at wide receiver, um, because you know Alabama has John Mechie um, as a solid number two, but they don't have a kid. I mean. I'll say this, and y'all might think I'm crazy. Florida's wide receiver core with a non-healthy Jalen Waddle is probably better than Alabama's mm-hmm. um, depth, depth-wise. Um, so I think, you know, Kyle, you mentioned something about how big of a player Kyle Pitts is and why they lost the LSU game. Um, and I think that's true. Um, but Kadarius Tony's been a dog for them all year. Kadarius Tony's been a – great player at Florida really his whole career, but Dan Mullen didn't really use him um, in the best way until this year. It gives me uh, Percy think, Harvin vibes. And, oh, 100%. 100%. Um, and I think the thing with um, the thing with him and Pitts, like you said also, Alabama hadn't seen any matchups quite like that. And they're not going to see another matchup quite like that because um, the rest of the receivers and weapons that Alabama plays down the stretch are more outside threat receivers. So you got like Chris Olave from Ohio State, Amari Rogers from Clemson. They're very much um, they're going to be matched up against Pat Sertan and Josh Job, who both of them did not play their best games against Florida, um, especially Sertan. Um, I mean, he played all he played all right, but by his standard, like especially that Trayvon Grimes touchdown, he's in perfect position to make a play and doesn't make a play. Um, just doesn't um, let some catch it over him. And Joe got a little handsy at times, uh, didn't play well. But I think Alabama's defense, like you know, there's been. I, I, I swear to y'all, Alabama fans. We're going to win the national championship. There are going to be fans complaining about our defense giving up 40 points, even if we won <laughs> 50 to 40. It is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, the fire peak golding train got cranked up again. And <laughs> look, I'm not – I've never said that I'm, like, a big Pete Golding fan or that he's, like, the best defense coordinator ever. Jeremy Pruitt, if you're listening, come home to Mama. We'll take good care of you, give you some country fried steak and some gravy and some pork chop, and you can have fun coordinating our defense next year. Um, but a lot – and I didn't like the plan of only rushing three to four people against um, Florida. I thought that was a bad move. I thought the best move was to pressure Trask, get him to get rid of the ball quickly, have to move around the pocket. Um, and I think that was when Alabama did get pressure on him, that was when he was least effective. But a lot of the game was just Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney matched up against uh, Malachi Moore and Brian Branch and just beating them. 
just being better because they're upperclassmen and Malachi Moore and Branch are freshmen. Um, and so I took some solace in knowing that it wasn't busted coverages. It wasn't running backs running wide open. It was more just their guy was better. And you, you, you tip your hat and you live with that. Um, but and I know I'm getting long-winded, but this is – I had to take a victory lap. I said on our first pod on, for SEC that my breakout player of the year was Will Anderson. Mm, and that's true. Gum was my right. I, I, I will take a victory lap. That sounds so cocky, but I don't care. <laughs> and is patting himself on the back. I He's am. more patting himself on the back. I mean <laughs> – <laughs> I know, but um, – he had two sacks in this game. Um, one one um, caused the fumble um, that ended up being a game – I mean, in my opinion, it was a game-changing moment. He now is leading the SEC in sacks as a true freshman, and he didn't record his first sack till game number eight. So he has seven sacks in the past four games, which is ridiculous. Um, he – to me, if Alabama is good enough on defense to win the national title, he's the key with the pressure he provides. Um, helps out the secondary, helps out the entire defense. Um, I, I feel sorry for offenses that had to face him for the next two years because he's only going to get better. And uh, I think he really stood out. Christian Harris played a good game. Um, and then on offense, Najee, Smitty, and Mack were just absolutely incredible. Um, and I know we don't have time to talk about it tonight, but you could have the uh, – to me, Najee Harris is the best all-around Alabama running back um, in history. And mm. Dev- Devontae Smith, um, I'm not saying he's the most talented receiver we've ever had, but he's had the best career of any receiver at Alabama. So um, that was a great win um, by Alabama. Like you said, Kyle, I like that they got tested. Um, I like – um, that they got the, you know, had their feet in the fire a little bit and they responded well to that adversity and kept on and came out with a win. So, uh, y'all have anything to, else to add on the game? Anything else to sit out to y'all? I know I got off on a tangent there, but I was just trying to fit some stuff in. I'm good. No, I'm I, good. I, I think I think we had to mention Najee. I'm glad you got to him. Um, what, a, what a heck of a game. So, man, I, I wish we had more time just to break down. But, dude, I mean, he's just – He's just one of the. I'm I'm really interested where he's going to go in the NFL because he, he yeah he, it it's cool seeing some of these guys who chose to came, like come back and they're showing that like they're they're men amongst boys which is really fun to watch. Yeah, um, if if Smitty, Najee, and Leatherwood didn't come back this year, um, Alabama would not um, be in the position they are now. I can I can guarantee you that. Um, I know Mac's been incredible this year, but he wouldn't um, – has been – have been as productive um, and efficient as he has been without those uh, those three uh, crucial players. I agree. I agree. So, awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I think that was a great, great breakdown, guys, uh, the SEC Championship, and I think that will do it. <laughs> so, that has been about two hours – um, of uh, of recording time. Thank you so much for listening. If you hopefully if you made it this far in the pod, um, we appreciate you listening each and every week. 
had great feedback um, on our SEC championship preview last week. I appreciate Graham again for uh, hopping on and uh, providing great analysis and feedback. Uh, we will be coming to you next week with more than likely uh, just an NFL pod. We might do a uh, preview pod for uh, the playoff game, or we might just wait um, till after both of those are done and then do one final episode of the SEC pod before um, the National Championship of Alabama defeats Notre Dame. But we will definitely be back next week with an NFL pod. And maybe if the schedule's line might start cranking out an NBA pod every every other week to kind of get in the swing of that as the season kicked off tonight. But um, my name is Hampton Sipper, and for Graham Haney, uh, Chase Haney, and Kyle Edwards, guys, thank you all so much for joining me tonight, and uh, we will come to you all again next week.